Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Freedom of Species. My name's Roy Taylor, I'll be your host today, bringing you animal rights news. Now, Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. We're broadcasting from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia, uh, streamed live via the 3CR website. And recent podcasts can be found on the 3CR website and our Freedom of Species website, which is freedomofspecies.org. And all podcasts are available via iTunes. Now, today we are going to be broadcasting a speech by uh, Philip Wallen. Philip Wallen is known to many animal activists in Australia. He is a philanthropist and vegan animal rights activist. Uh, Some of his background here. He was previously vice president of Citibank, uh, specialising in corporate finance, mergers and acquisitions. At the age of 34, he was rated by Australian Business Magazine in the top 40 Australian headhunted executives. And by the age of 40, he had witnessed cruelty on such a colossal scale that it affected him profoundly. He decided to give away everything he owned with warm hands and die broke. And in this quote that I'm reading here, it says, And so far we're right on budget. Today he devotes his life to children, animals, the environment, the terminally ill, the homeless and the arts. He supports over 500 humanitarian projects in over 40 countries, with schools, orphanages, shelters, sanctuaries, clinics and scholarships. In 2005, he received the Order of Australia, and in 2007, he was Australian of the Year for Victoria. So we're going to be listening to a speech by Phil Wallen, but first we've got a 3CR announcement uh, by an equally famous activist. This is Lawrence Pope. This is Lawrence Pope, Victorian Advocates for Animals. You know, it doesn't matter where I am, around Australia or across the globe, people ask me the same question. Why don't we have programs like 3CR's Freedom of Species? Why don't we have independent radio? Not radio that's a puppet of the millionaires and the billionaires, but radio that reflects the real concerns of people like you, the very salt 
of this great country. From Warrnambool to Wonthaggy, from Malakuta to Cootamundra, 3CR, they're kind of cats, they're for the bats. That's independent radio. That's freedom of species, not the enslavement of species. I said the freedom of species. You know what to do. Donate to independent radio and warm your heart while you're cooling the planet. This is Lawrence Pope of Victorian Advocates for Animals and 3CR wishing your species all the best. Before we go to that uh, broadcast of that speech that Philip Wallen gave, uh, I'd just like to announce the Animal Activists Forum, which is coming up in the second weekend of October. Uh, This is a yearly animal rights conference that's held in a different city each year, and the aim is to increase networking amongst activists, animal rights activists across Australia, with an entire weekend of talks, workshops discussions on how to be an effective advocate for animals. And this year is going to be held in Melbourne Town Hall. And it's the second weekend of October uh, to attend. Uh, It's necessary to book a ticket, but we've got uh, uh, concession tickets uh, are available. And for more details and to book those tickets, uh, just go to activistsforum.com. It really is the high point of the animal rights calendar in Australia, and it's your chance to network with activists from all over the country, people coming from Perth, the Gold Coast, Sydney, and indeed from New Zealand. So this is your chance to uh, really meet people from across the country, find out where you can help, uh, find out if people can help you, and it's really a chance to network and increase your activism so that we can all do more for animals and stop the horrendous cruelty that goes on. Uh, So more details of the forum, go to activistsforum.com. On the Thursday, there will be a visit to Edgar's Mission as part of that because people are coming from across the country to Victoria for this event. So there's going to be a tour of Edgar's Mission. And on the Friday, we've got a day of activism with a series of rallies and protests in central Melbourne so that we can actually do some activism with all the people that are coming from across the country. It's going to be a fantastic weekend, and really it's the chance to uh, meet people and increase your activism and become an informed advocate for animals. That's at activistforum.com. Now we'll go to this speech, and this was a speech that was um, given by Philip Wallen, um, I think it was two weeks ago in Sydney, at an animal law conference hosted by the New South Wales Young Lawyers. Uh, It starts off with an intro uh, by the uh, chair of the New South Wales Young Lawyers, Amanda Richmond. And uh, Philip Wallen really does give a great speech on why it is so important to address the issues that are facing animals and, of course, to go vegan. We'll go to that speech now. His Kindness Trust which focuses on helping the vulnerable in our society, namely children, animals, the ill, the environment and aspiring youth, supports more than 400 projects in 40 countries. While he would have probably been content with all of this going unnoticed, he has attracted a fair bit of public recognition for his work. In 2005, he received the Medal of the Order of Australia. In 2007, he won the Australian of the Year Victoria Award. In 2012, he was made an honorary fellow of the Oxford Centre of Animal Ethics, UK. 
and in 2014 he received the University of Adelaide Distinguished Alumni Award. He is, of course, none other than Philip Wallen, and would you all please join me in welcoming Philip. Thank you. Can everyone hear me back there? Yes? Lawyers are silent. King Lear, late at night on the cliffs, asks the blind Earl of Gloucester, how do you see the world? And the blind man Gloucester replies, I see it feelingly. And shouldn't we all? Rudyard Kipling, writing of young men dying in World War I, he said, and if they ask you why we died, tell them that our fathers lied. That legacy of lies, that litany, continues today. Everything that people think they know about the meat and dairy industry is a lie. You see, the world is crying out for only two things, leadership and the truth. Today, I'm simply going to tell you the truth. The wise Chinese have a term for it, Jing Jiao. Listen to the friend who tells you the truth, even when it hurts. So let's just tell the truth, fearlessly and forcefully. That is what the Sanskrit word satyagraha means, the truth force. Now, Brendan Kennelly in the book of Judas wrote, if you wish to serve your age, betray it. But what does that mean, to betray your age? It means expose its lies, humiliate its conceits, debunk its arrogance, expose its secrets, and condemn them to face harsher truths. As Alvin Toffler said, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Now, I have long admired Count Moltke, the Prussian general, a soldier who preferred to think rather than to speak, a man silent in seven languages. But you see, it takes courage to stand up and speak. It also takes courage to sit down and listen. Now, there was a time when my favorite food was filet mignon and lobster, a fact for which I am so profoundly ashamed today. So what made me decide to leave the world of lobsters and learjets in exchange for shelters and slaughterhouses? To take nothing but pictures, own nothing but memories, leave nothing but footprints, kill nothing but time. You see, something happened to me. I had been to Dante's Inferno, but unlike Dante Alighieri, I did not have Beatrice for my love, nor Virgil for my guide. I heard the screams of my dying father as his body was ravaged by the cancers that killed him. And I realized I'd heard those screams before. In the slaughterhouse, on the cattle ships to the Middle East, and a dying mother whale as a harpoon explodes in her brain as she called out to her calf. Their cries were the cries of my father. They were identical. And I discovered that when we suffer, we suffer as equals. And in their capacity to suffer, a dog is a pig, is a bear, is a boy. 
So when I look into your faces here today, I recall the words of the Greek poet Horace. Change only the name, and my story is also about you. So this is where we work today. Please do not avert your eyes. It only lasts a couple of minutes. In China, 7,000 magnificent moon bears, their limbs torn off in traps, are imprisoned in steel coffins welded shut as a catheter drains bile into a bucket, which the Chinese drink. For 26 years, the bears can't move. They go insane. In Korea, dogs are beaten to death in the marketplace because the butchers believe that pain and suffering makes the meat tasty. In Korea, and I beg your pardon, in South Africa, 5,000 tame orphan lions are drugged and killed with guns, spears, or torn apart by hunting dogs for sport. In Canada, 300,000 baby seal pups are clubbed and skinned alive on the ice, their tiny hearts still beating. In Australia, we killed 90 million kangaroos who adorn our coat of arms, the largest land animal slaughter on the planet. And we sent millions of our animals, born on Australian soil, on death ships to the Middle East, where their eyes are stabbed out and their tendons are slashed for 30 pieces of silver. Believe me, every penny I spent in the Basatine slaughterhouses in Cairo to reduce animal suffering was utterly wasted, and I won't be making that mistake again. In Asia, dogs are suspended on steel hooks and skinned alive to make fur trim in coats sold in Australia. And we treat the ocean as our private pantry and as a public toilet. The Pacific gyro now is so full of plastic, junk, and human feces, it has created a floating footprint bigger than India. And dolphins and whales are stabbed to death in the shallows of Japan and the Faroe Islands. Entire bays are blood red. 100 million sharks are torn from the sea, their fins hacked off, and their bodies thrown overboard to die agonizing deaths for shark fin soup. And factory farms spew chemicals into the ocean, creating hypoxic dead zones of 1 million square kilometers, killing coral plants and ocean animals. And here in Australia, so-called unviable dairy calves who cannot be sold for veal are killed by dairy farmers smashing their skulls with a hammer or jumping on their rib cages and crushing their hearts. That is the law. That's how they kill unviable dairy calves. And billions of bouncy little chicks are ground up alive in mechanical minces simply because they are male. We've just come back from a tour across Asia. And let me tell you that religious sacrifices of innocent animals make the 21st century look like the new dark ages. Whilst children starve in poor countries because their croplands now produce meat for foreigners. I won't be showing you any more pictures. Now, in human history, only 100 billion human beings have ever lived. Seven billion people are alive today. And we humans torture and kill two billion land animals every week. And we stab and suffocate one billion ocean animals every three hours. Trillions of fish are ground up into pellets to feed to livestock. 
vegetarian cows are now the world's largest ocean predators. The oceans are dying in our time. By 2048, all our fisheries will be dead, the lungs and the arteries of the earth. The oceans sequester more CO2 than all the forests of the world put together. 10,000 entire species are wiped out every year because of the actions of one species. And we now face the sixth mass extinction in cosmological history. If any other organism did this, a biologist would call it a bloody virus. It is a crime against humanity of unimaginable proportions. So meat and dairy is not an industry. It is an atrocity. A squalid bacchanalia of butchery. Now there are two peak predators on this planet. Humans on land and orcas out there in the ocean. In the 20th century, human beings killed 200 million members of their own species. Orcas killed none. And don't expect any protection from your own governments either. In the 20th century, 100 million people have been killed by their own governments. Now, Victor Hugo said, there is nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. But I say, there is nothing more destructive than a bad idea whose time has passed. The time for meat has passed. You see, it's not just about animal rights. It's also about human wrongs. Believe me, animal rights is now the greatest social justice issue since the abolition of slavery, and you can put that in the bank. It is a revolutionary event more powerful than the Industrial Revolution, the Reformation, the Hubble Telescope, or anything ever conceived by Galileo, Copernicus, Einstein, Darwin, or Freud. Because it protects the most precious of all things, life. We, the people in this room, are on the right side of history. We are creating a new enlightenment, the second renaissance. Happily, the world is changing. 20 years ago, Twitter was a bird sound. WWW was a stuck keyboard. Cloud was in the sky. Skype was a typo. 3G was a parking space. Google was a baby's burp. And Al-Qaeda was my plumber. Now, the most beautiful word ever written at any time in any country in human history came from India, from the Upanishads 3,000 years ago. Ahimsa, non-violence to any living being. In everything we do, say, and think. So when I'm asked, I describe myself as Ahimsan. And by definition, therefore, I must be vegan. Not because veganism defines or describes our nationality, our politics, our religion, our diet, or our lifestyle, but because it describes our character. It says we oppose violence wherever it occurs. Now you all here know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
Now, this actually predates the New Testament of Jesus. It actually goes back to the Babylonian Jew, Hillel, 70 BC. In fact, it goes back even further to the Analects of Confucius, 500 years BC. And the truth be told, it was inscribed on our hearts before the dawn of writing. Now, the anthropologist Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a few committed people can change the world. Indeed, that is the only thing that ever has. There are only 13 million Jews in the world, and yet they play such a vibrant role in international affairs. Look at the number of Nobel Prizes they win every year. Now, Trix and I sat in the stadium during the Olympic Games, full of pride, as Australia won more medals than every country in the world except for the United States and Russia. Tibet's population is only 3 million. But who hasn't heard of the plight of the Tibetan? But there are over 600 million vegetarians in the world, and that is bigger than the United States, England, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, all put together. If they were one nation, they would be bigger than the 27 nations of the European Union. And despite this massive demographic footprint, they are still drowned out by the raucous hunt-and-shoot-and-killing cretins who believe that violence is the answer when it should not even be a question. You're listening to Freedom of Species Animal Activism on the Airwaves on Community Radio 3CR, 855 AM. This is a speech given by Phil Wallen, a philanthropist, prior... CEO of, or prior Vice President of Citibank, uh, recipient of the Australia Order of Australia and Australian of the Year Victoria in 2007. And this is a speech given by Phil at the New South Wales Young Lawyers Animal Law Conference held just two weeks ago. We'll go to the next part of that speech now. At the Australian of the Year Awards in Canberra, this is how a deceitful journalist twisted my innocent words. Mr. Waller, I'm surprised a man of your standing would say that meat is murder, a little old lady with a budgerigar is offending God, livestock production is unethical, there will be no peace until we stop killing animals, industry is unattractive, animals are like human children. Can't you see how offensive that is to our rural audience? So this was my diplomatic counterpunch. Well, you certainly bludgeon the English language to death, but if you're going to quote me, please do it honestly. I did say, a robin redbreast in a cage puts all heaven in a rage. But that came from William Blake in Auguries of Innocence. And by the way, it was the Prophet Muhammad who said, a sparrow does not fall from the sky without Allah knowing. And yes, I admit I did say, The commandment, thou shalt not kill, applies to the murder of any living being. It was inscribed on the human heart long before it was proclaimed from Mount Sinai. As long as there are slaughterhouses, there will be battlefields. But that was Leo Tolstoy. And yes, I admit, I did say the roots of cruelty are not strong, just widespread. But a time will come when inhumanity, protected by custom, will succumb to humanity championed by thought. A man is ethical only when all life is sacred to him. But that was Albert Schweitzer winning the Nobel Prize. And yes, I did say as long as we kill animals, there will never be peace. 
is only one step to the concentration camps of Hitler and Stalin. There will be no justice as long as man will stand with a knife and destroy those who are weaker than him. But that was Isaac Singer, winner of the Nobel Prize as well. And yes, I admit I did have something to say about animals and children. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard with the young goat, the young lion with the young ones of the herd, and a little child will lead them. But that came from the prophet Isaiah. And no, I didn't say a thing about greed and ambition. That wasn't me, that was Jesus. Blame him. <laughs> Behold the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. King Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. And for good measure he threw in a left hook and an uppercut. Whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So are you, as a journalist, suggesting that your rural audience is offended by Nobel Prize winners and the prophets, or shall I just go home and burn my books? I seem to recall that was the strategy favoured by Pol Pot. Well, the journalist was speechless, and he attacked me for being a radical. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we need another radical Galileo or Copernicus to remind us that we are not the centre of the universe. Animals are not just other species. They are other nations. And we murder them at our own moral peril. Now, the great historian Barbara Tuckman defined folly as acting against our own best interests. That's folly. So let's just think about the real concept of Occam's Razor, named after the, uh, the 14th century Jesuit, who said this, when presented with a number of possible solutions, the simplest solution is always the best. So let's examine the meat and dairy industry under those two scenarios. Forest depletion caused by the meat and dairy industry costs three times as much as the recent global financial crisis. Zoonotic diseases from factory farms now threaten a pandemic to rival the Black Death, which wiped out half of Europe. And meat and dairy is killing us and our economies with a wide variety of cancers, heart diseases, and diabetes. Medicare has already bankrupted the, the powerful United States. They would need $8 trillion invested in Treasury bills just to pay the interest. And they've got precisely zero. They could shut down every school, university, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Homeland Security, CIA and FBI, and they still will not have enough free cash flow to service their long-term unfunded Medicare liabilities that can't be done. But how big is $8 trillion? Well, the Asia Development Bank forecasts that's the amount they will need in Asia over the next 10 years for electricity, roads, telecommunications, water, plus high-speed rail across China, ports in Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, India, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka, plus the new Silk Road from Central Asia to Europe. That's $8 trillion. Expressed another way, it is four times as big as India's GDP and the total reserves of India and China combined. $8 trillion. Now, many of you would know that water is the new oil. 
nations will still be going to war over it. Underground aquifers that took millions of years to fill are now running dry. I drilled my first well as a teenage boy scout, and we struck sweet water at 80 feet. Today we're building an orphanage nearby, and at 800 feet we're sucking mud. In China, the drill head is at 3,000 feet, and it is still dry. Now, everyone here would be outraged if 10 jumbo jets crashed every day with no survivors. Well, the same number of children die every day through water-related diseases. The mighty Colorado River, the Rio Grande, the Indus, and the Yellow Rivers now no longer reach the sea, sucked dry by the meat and dairy industry. So why do I speak about water? Because it takes 50,000 liters of water to produce one kilo of beef, one swimming pool. It takes 1,000 liters of water to produce one liter of milk, and a dairyman gets 29 cents a liter. What a preposterously stupid industry. One billion people today are hungry. 20 million people will die this year from malnutrition. Cutting meat by only 10% will feed 100 million, and eliminating meat will end malnutrition forever. And food prices are skyrocketing. It used to cost me for Thai rice, for my projects in Southeast Asia, $197 a tonne. And it then went up to $1,015 a tonne, a five-fold increase in five months. And poor countries sell their grain to the West for hard currency whilst their own children starve in their arms, and the West feeds it to livestock. So we can eat a steak? Tell me and tell me the truth. Am I the only one in this room who sees this as a crime? Believe me, every morsel of meat we eat is slapping the tear-stained face of a hungry child. When I look into her eyes, do I remain silent? If everyone ate a Western diet, we would need two planet Earths to feed us. We've only got one, and she is dying. The Earth can produce enough food for everyone's need, but not enough for everyone's greed. And greenhouse pollution now from livestock vastly exceeds that of transport. Cars, trains, buses, ships, planes, the whole kit and caboodle. And their methane is over 20 times more potent than CO2. The melting Siberian permafrost is now a ticking time bomb. You all know about the Yamal Peninsula problems. When it releases its sequestered gas, the game is over. The Himalayan ice fields are correctly called the third pole because they feed and irrigate half the world's population through the Indus, the Ganges, the Irrawaddy, the Mekong, and the Yellow Rivers. And these glaciers are melting fast. I presented these numbers to, in a speech to 2,000 wealthy multi-millionaire Indian entrepreneurs in New Delhi, including Amartya Sen, who had recently won the Nobel Prize in Economics. And I mentioned this to Mohammed Yunus, who had just won the Nobel as well, and I told him that all the good he had done with Grameen Bank and microcredit would vanish when Bangladesh drowns, to say nothing about Manila, Mumbai, Kolkata, Ho Chi Minh City, and Bangkok. And then Trix and I had dinner with Al Gore, and we discussed the same numbers. No argument at all from three Nobel Prize winners, but lots of arguments 
from the meat and dairy lobbyists in Canberra. So Upton Sinclair was right. It is impossible to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. Now, many of you would know that Admiral Denny McGinn, the chief of U.S. warfighting requirements, said this, We have learned that nations will raid and invade long before they starve. And here in Australia, we freak out when 1,000 refugees arrive on our shores. Imagine for a moment greenhouse gas emissions hitting 500 parts per million or a three-degree temperature rise, creating 100 million eco-refugees. This calamity will reshape the geopolitical landscape forever. We are facing the perfect storm. If any nation had developed weapons that could wreak such havoc on the planet, we would launch a military strike and bomb it back into the Bronze Age. But we can't. It is not a rogue state. It's an industry. The good news is we don't have to bomb it. We can just stop buying it. So George Bush was wrong. The axis of evil does not run through Iraq, Iran, or North Korea. It runs through our dining tables. Weapons of mass destruction are our knives and forks, and increasingly our chopsticks. The Stone Age didn't end because we ran out of stones. This disgusting, ignoble industry will end because we run out of excuses. So I say that veganism is the Swiss army knife of the future. One instrument solves our ethical, economic, environmental, water and health problems and ends animal cruelty forever. And farmers are the ones with the most to gain. Farming won't end, it would boom. Only the product line would change. Farmers would make so much money they wouldn't even bother counting it and I'd be the first to applaud them. Believe me, veganism is the engine of redirected economic growth. Governments would love us. New industries would emerge and flourish. Health insurance premiums would plummet. Hospital waiting lists would disappear. Hell, we would be so healthy we'd have to shoot someone just to start a cemetery. I recently addressed the World Parliament of Religions and I said, the peace map is drawn on a menu. Peace is not just the absence of war. It is the presence of justice. And justice must be blind to race, colour, religion and to species. If she is not blind, she will be used as a weapon of terror. And today there is unimaginable terror in those ghastly gulags we call factory farms and vivisection laboratories. As Lord Acton said, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And talking about peace whilst killing animals is like loving literature and burning books. They are mutually exclusive ideas. They are incompatible in the same way that science is incompatible with the Flat Earth Society. An ethical vegan does not need the approval of the meat lobby any more than a Nobel laureate needs the approval of the village idiot. So in my personal journey through Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, I've learned a few things. 
A man is measured not by how much money he makes, but how much of it he is willing to give away, particularly to strangers. And if you wish to increase a man's share of happiness, do not aim to increase his possessions, simply decrease his desires. Socrates and Epicurus were right. The unexamined life is not worth living. I did not find my character on Wall Street because it lives on the road to Damascus. And my heart resonates to the words of W.H. Auden. If equal affection cannot be, let the more loving one be me. Martin Luther King said, Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it polite? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? Is it right? We need a new kind of jurisprudence, foro conscientiae, a court of conscience. Now I speak to groups all around the world, audiences of small ones like this, and sometimes 5,000 people. And they're all good, decent, loving, caring people who all want to change the world as long as they don't have to change themselves. But life does not work that way. First we change in our hearts and then the world follows. True leaders must face their own demons courageously. Martin Niemöller, the German priest, philosopher and U-boat captain, spent eight years in prison for condemning German intellectuals for being cowards. When the Nazis came for the communists, I remained silent. I was not a communist. When they locked up the Democrats, I remained silent. I was not a Democrat. When they came for the trade unionists, I did not speak out. I was not a trade unionist. When they came for the Jews, I remained silent. I was not a Jew. And then they came for me. There's no one left to speak out. Men and women of integrity like you must speak out and act courageously. Is it not better to light a candle than to curse the darkness? All the darkness in the world cannot put out the light of a single candle. I believe another world is possible. And on a quiet night, I can hear her breathing. It will be difficult, but do not be afraid. Remember Gandhi's words. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. The last sentence of Scott Fitzgerald's book, The Great Gatsby, reads, So we beat on, boats against the tide, drawn back ceaselessly into the past. I ask you, are we to live forever in a sick, smug, and cruel past? Let's not relive history. Let's make history because that is what leaders do. They make history. Judge White's closing words in the bonfire of the vanity said, the law is humanity's feeble attempt at decency. So please join the battle in the war that decency cannot afford to lose. Because in the end, only three things matter. How deeply you loved, how gently you lived, and how gracefully you let go of things that were not meant for you. Meat was not meant for you. 
Our animal cousins have survived millions of years of evolution. They've earned the right to share this planet with us in peace. And they have waited long enough. The brutes and the bullies have been Goliath. But David is coming. Maybe he's in this room. Maybe he's one of you. And if not you, who? And if not now, when? Thank you all for listening. The New International Bookshop, Melbourne's famous left-wing bookshop. We stock the widest range of left-wing literature and merchandise, as well as heaps of cheap quality second-hand books. Visit Nibs at Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton, or online at www.newinternationalbookshop.org.au. Coming up at Trades Hall, on Thursday, September 10 at 6.45pm, Tim Musio, Senior Lecturer in International Relations and Political Economy at the University of Wollongong, will give a talk about his new book, The 1% and the Rest of Us. And on Tuesday, October 22nd from 7pm, left historian Stuart McIntyre will talk about his new book, Australia's Boldest Experiment, War and Reconstruction in the 1940s. The New International Bookshop is a 3CR supporter. Hello, you're listening to Freedom of Species Animal Activism on the Airwaves. And on today's show, we've had a speech by Phil Wallen, prior recipient of Australian of the Year. So that speech was uh, by Phil Wallen, just he gave that a couple of weeks ago. Right, we've got some community announcements and news. And it's almost all bad news this week, but we've got some good news in that, that, in that there are lots of community announcements. So, first of all, this one is from the CSIRO website. Uh, for those outside Australia, that's the Australian Scientific Industrial Researches Organisation. Dated 1st of September 2015, almost all seabirds to have plastic in gut by 2050. Research from CSIRO and the Imperial College London have assessed how widespread the threat of plastic is for the world's seabirds and found the majority of species have plastic in their gut. The study, led by Dr Chris Wilcox, found that nearly 60% of all seabird species have plastic in the gut. Based on analysis of published studies since the early 60s, the researchers found that plastic is increasingly common in seabird stomachs. In 1960, it was found in the stomach of less than 5% of individual birds, rising to 80% by 2010. The researchers predict that plastic ingestion will affect 99% of the world's seabird species by 2050, based on current trends. And this, of course, includes bags, bottle caps, plastic fibres from synthetic clothes, which have been washed out into the ocean from urban rivers, sewers and waste deposits. That's some bad news, of course. Then here, in front of me, I'm reading a steward's report. And uh, most people don't realise, but steward's reports are available. They're a matter of public record from horse races. And uh, let's have a look at one. This was uh, dated Thursday the 10th of September 2015. It's the Stewards Report from Hawkesbury Racecourse. And I'm just reading it now. It says, Stewards today concluded their inquiries into the reason for a two-year-old unnamed brown colt. 
which broke down catastrophically in the off foreleg and was subsequently euthanized at track work by Hawkesbury last Thursday, 3rd of September 2015. Now, this steward's report goes on to give more details, but first of all, I would like to say it isn't euthanasia because it is quite possible to, to treat a horse that has damaged its leg and uh, allow it to live its entire life with a prosthetic. However, that's incredibly expensive and not financially viable for the horse racing industry. So the horses are shot instead. And uh, I personally find every aspect of racehorsing utterly vile. And um, I certainly won't be going to the Melbourne Cup. I'll be supporting the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses. Now, everyone listening that supports 3CR will have a think when it comes to the Melbourne Cup this year. And think about the cruelty that's inflicted on those horses and an industry that gets away with continuing jumps racing, the whipping of horses, which is uh, discontinued in Norway, so it's quite possible to not have horse races with whipping. The racing of two-year-old horses in two-year-old racing, and uh, wastage, which is the industry's term for having the slow ones shot. So please have a think about horse racing in the lead-up to this year's Carnival of Cruelty. The good news is that we've got some community news. Um, And the first one's very interesting. This comes from Sydney Fox Rescue. Now, foxes need your help because they are vilified in Australia um, as predators of native wildlife. Well, the foxes didn't get here on their own. I've not seen a fox swimming from uh, England. They were brought here by people. Um, So... The foxes are equally a victim of of um, humans as the native wildlife. So we should be caring for and looking after foxes and not, um, not being cruel to them. And this is some news from Sydney Fox Rescue. And this is dated 18th of August on their website, uh, on their Facebook page. We have some sad and angering news to share with you tonight and we'd ask you to share it far and wide as we can no longer do so. Today, Sydney Fox Rescue were told as a condition of the new fox permits granted to us by the local land services, we will no longer be able to share information or stories about our foxes on social media or print media. This is an outrageous attempt to force Sydney Fox Rescue and our fight for foxes into the shadows. We have been asked to remove our web pages from the internet All fox owners owners granted permits will be subject to the same restrictions. How can we hope to campaign for change and future fox rescue and ownership if we're unable to utilise public media? It's about so so much more than free speech. This is about our rights as animal lovers to push back against an unjust piece of legislation that puts the welfare of hundreds if not thousands of foxes at risk. What's becoming of animal welfare in this country when the people affected are banned from even discussing it and sharing information with the public? Let's just announce that again. Legislative attempts to ban social media posts, print media or websites. That should be shocking to anyone who listens to 3CR. Irrespective of whether you're an animal rights person or not, that is censorship. And this is because these foxes 
are homeless, are being cared for, um, and speciesist people are out to kill them. And uh, as a result of that, websites are being censored in Australia. Other news. Um, in Dayborough, Queensland, Farm Animal Rescue is having an open day at their Farm Animal Rescue Centre. Uh, details are on Facebook, so you can search for that. That's Farm Animal Rescue. And some more information, there's an anti-live export demonstration that is coming up Queen's Park in Brisbane. Um, it's time to put an end to live export. And that's on Saturday, September the 19th. So I think that's next Saturday. More details on Facebook. But uh, demo against live export, Saturday, September the 19th. And then finally, from Choose Cruelty Free, there is a vegan cheese and wine evening or afternoon. Saturday, September the 19th, 3pm to 5pm at the Jika Jika Community Centre, Northcote, Victoria. For more details, go to... Oh, sorry, that's not Choose Cruelty Free. That is Humane Research Australia. So that concludes it for today's show. Get your tickets for the 2015 Animal Activist Forum at activistforum.com. And we're going to conclude with some more System 7. Let's go to that now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.